0: Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner.
1: So check this out, listen, if you're new to Grace Church, I want you to know that Grace Church has been given a unique gift and that gift is to make people uncomfortable. Like it literally is part of our DNA. Like, like, now don't get me wrong, like we're gonna love on you and I love your shirt, man. I have decided. It's so good to see you in the house, brother. Um, like we're gonna welcome you. We're gonna greet you with smiles, hopefully from the parking lot to the front door to inside the sanctuary, you're gonna be greeted and, and we're gonna celebrate you and we're gonna encourage you and we're gonna baptize you. What about that baptism this morning, huh? So good, Michael, thank you for making that decision today that encourages all of us. So we're gonna baptize you, celebrate you, we're gonna welcome you, we're gonna smile at you, we're gonna give you high fives and hugs, all of those good things, but I promise you, if you stick around here long enough, you're gonna get sniped. You're, 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 you're not going to, you're not going to know it's going to even be, you're, you're going to be completely unaware that it's coming, but we're going to get right into your neighborhood, right into your own personal address. And we're going to make you happily uncomfortable because what's going to happen is we're going to be sharing truths about God's word and the Holy spirit is going to reveal to you that you are doing everything, but what it is that we're talking about. And let me just tell you that we have had people literally leave the church because nobody today in a day of comfort, everybody just wants to be celebrated and everybody wants to just be told how good you're doing. You're just doing so good. You're just doing, you know what I mean? We live in the generation of everybody getting a trophy. Somehow or what? First, yeah, yeah, sure. Everybody gets a trophy and everybody grows up Thinking that, you know what I'm saying? It's like, listen, don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. You know what I mean? Don't challenge me up, but tell me, you know what I mean? Tell me all the good things that I'm doing. And so whenever you're challenged by the Lord, not by me, not by Pastor Javi, not by somebody else, but when you're challenged by the word of the Lord, oftentimes people will not return. And that's okay because I believe this, that there will be a day that you come back here or you come back to a different church and you will be ready, come on, to be instructed up, to challenged up, to, to, be, to be encouraged up, come on, to be changed up, come on, from where you are to where it is that God's taken you. I believe it, I believe it. And so, so we like making people happily uncomfortable. And I was talking about sniping and Javi was telling me, be careful because I'm preaching next week And I got a whole message that I can just tell stuff on you. So I'm going to tell the kind version. So about 15 years ago, maybe 18 years ago, this was a time when my boys were real big into airsoft. Anybody remember what airsoft was? And like, listen, we didn't just do things little. Like we had airsoft guns that were like 500 feet per second. If you get shot, you're going to know it. And even my daughter would come out and she would she would play as well well Javi was like I want to come I want to come play airsoft so we gave him a cheap little airsoft gun and and uh and I said man this is going to be so fun we were praying playing at my at my house and so I knew all the nooks and crannies and like like I was I was you know I had my my ghillie suit on and I was all sniped up ready to go and No, I was chasing Javi and Javi dove behind, I think it was even his car, his little green car. And um, one thing that he forgot and didn't realize is that both windows were down. The driver's side window was down and the passenger side window was down. And I was thinking, he's gonna pop up, you know what I mean? And look through what he thinks is glass and it's not gonna be glass. And so I was just, I was zoned in right in that area. sure enough, man, he popped up and I pulled the, squeezed off around and it was just dead, 500 feet per second, nailed him in his front tooth. And I thought I killed him the way he was asked, the way he, the way he responded to that, he threw himself on the ground. Crying, screaming, kicking his legs. And his, and his <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm ready for you next week. I'm, I'm going to call in sick next week. But it was absolutely perfect, man. He thought he was safe, but he wasn't safe. And sometimes that's how it is in the house of the Lord. But I want you to know that even, even if you do get sniped, it's absolutely because we love you and it's absolutely because the Lord loves you. And, and, and when he challenges up and calls us up, it's not always the easiest thing, but it's always the best thing. So check this out. Our story, Judas shows us, he reveals some details about this ointment, this perfume. It's worth 300 denarii, 300 denarii. A hundred denarii is worth four months wages 300 denari, do the math, it's worth a year of your annual wage. So I did some research. I was like, I was like, Googles, what is the average income of Idahoans in 2023? The average income of Idahoans in 2023 is $50,111. So there's a lot of people that make a lot more than that. And then there's a lot of people that make a lot less than that, but that is the average. And so when Mary, she broke out this perfume, like literally, she was taking something that was worth $50,111 and she began to pour it on the feet of Jesus. And so my question just right out of the gate is this, is when was the last time That you did something radical for Jesus when was the last time that you lived dangerous for Jesus when was the last time that you said I'm done playing things safe but I'm going to do whatever it is that he calls me to do when was the last time that you gave extravagantly sacrificially come on to Jesus The Christian life is not the safe life. Walking in faith is not safe. Answering the call of God in your life is not safe. I've got so many stories of of being in, in dangerous predicaments for the Lord. Unsafe places. From having conversations in the workspace, in the workplace, where you could get fired. To to literally my first mission trip to the Philippines. And, and we're going up, get off the plane right off the bat. We're going up into the jungles to do an open air meeting. And halfway up, they stop and pick up two Philippine Marines that are fully locked and loaded with their M16s ready to go. Because where we were having this open air meeting with huge speakers blasting across the jungle, was right in prime Muslim, radical Muslim territory. So when was the last time, like, like at that moment, you can do one of two things. You could say, uh, take me back to the plane. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I didn't quite sign up and show up for this. Or you can say, you know what? God knew this was gonna happen all along, and I'm just gonna go to do what I've been called to go and do. And know that the Lord is gonna be with me but I'm asking you when was the last time that you did something risky for the Lord when or are you a person that has just played it safe you know what I mean I would do that but it's just there's too much cost involved and don't you understand what that might mean you know what I'm saying don't you realize the culture that we live in and everybody's telling on everybody and when was the last time that you took some risk. See, there's only two Bibles that you need to consider and I need to consider. The one that you read and know, and I'm, and I'm assuming, I'm guessing that, 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 that you are a student of your word and that you're at least doing like daily devotions and, and things like that. But there's the, the Bible that you read and that you know, and then there's the Bible that you live. And let me tell you, in our culture today, I believe... Because of technology and having, having everybody's thoughts and ideas at your fingertips, like in so many different devotions that speak to you right where you are, I believe that people know more about the Word of God today, maybe, than they ever have. But there's a disconnect whenever it comes to living it. See, I think so many people know it and they know what it says and they know what they should do in certain situations, but yet there's always an excuse as to why, well, this is just a little bit different and, and, you know, I know he was talking about the masses here, but in my situation, I'm sure God understands and gives me a pass. Come on. So there's two words, the one that you read, know, and memorize, and then the one that you live. See, walking with God can be sketchy, but his way is always the right way, and his word is always the right word. In fact, David shows us this in Psalms 37 and verse 25. David said, listen, he said, I was young, but now I'm old. Listen, is there anybody here that would just be honest with yourself, and you would say, man, I was young at one point, and I knew the Lord back then, but now I'm old, and I've seen some things. Anybody was once young, and now you're old? We got, we, got, we got some truthful people and some bunch of liars in the house too. Bunch of liars. You know, just because you, you know what I'm saying? Just because you say you're young doesn't mean that you're young. Anybody walk with God for a long period of time? You're old now? See, what he says here is, is this. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken. I've walked with God my entire life. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Or their children begging for bread meaning that god knows how to provide come on god knows how to show up god knows how to protect god knows how to heal god knows how to care for amen so david like look if you look at the life of david he knew danger he fought lions and he fought bears and he fought giants david would go to war and he would win wars and he would go back to war again only to win some new ones right David one time when they were away at battle the enemy came in and stole all of the women and the children and the Bible says that David just didn't act out of his emotions he he separated himself right in fact his old army was about ready to turn against him and he separated himself he said God what should I do in this situation and God said listen this is what I want you to do I want you to I want you to get after that enemy You will overtake them and you will recover everything that has been stolen from you. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. All of the women and children and and, and everything else that was stolen and taken was restored. Amen. That's the God that we serve. And then we've got David that's doing, you know what I'm saying? Like he had some sin in his life and he made some major mistakes. And there was a baby that was born out of one of these mistakes And the baby became very ill and sick and the bible says that david he just laid out before the lord on his face before the lord laid out flat he wouldn't eat somebody say wouldn't eat he didn't shower everybody was worried about him right he was the king and he was contending for his son to live he was praying for his son to live imagine one of your children fighting for their life and you're just praying and you're fasting and you're and you're you're not showering you're just devoting yourself to that child living and guess what the end of the story is is the child dies you know what david did david got up and he said i'm not going to serve god anymore i quit the church come on i trusted god and he and he took my boy That's exactly what he did right no No, he did not the bible says that he got up and he took a shower he put a smile on his face and he ordered he ordered a nice steak dinner with all of the fixings and people were like what is going on we don't we don't understand you and he continued to follow god Because he said, listen, I cannot bring my boy back to where I'm at, but I can go to where it is that he is. Amen. So what happens in the church today? What happens in the church today when we're in a bad way and God doesn't answer our prayers like we think, like we need him to answer our prayers what we do is we give up on God and we, and we quit the church and, and we're just like, you know what? I thought I knew who God was. But the thing is, is you've been serving yourself as God because God didn't do things exactly how you needed them to be done. Now you don't trust him to be God anymore because the truth is, is you, you think you know what God should be and how God should act and what God should do and when God should do it. But you don't. See, there's a bigger picture. There's something greater than the here and the now. And so what we do is we get offended. We're like, I'm done with God. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to quit the church. But David was a man of the word. Like he knew the word. He knew God. And he trusted in God even when things didn't go his way. So once again, I'm asking you, are you standing on the, on the, on the, on the, the, the Bible that you know? Or are you standing on the word enough that you can live it, even when it doesn't turn out like, like you think it ought to turn out? Mm, mm. Got some people here are like, I don't even want to clap at that. Because that means that, hmm, I'm still working through it. I'll get back at you, and I'll clap next week maybe. All right. So it goes on to say this. Well, actually, I'm going to skip that. Okay, so over the next 20 25 minutes, 15 minutes if you're lucky. I'm going to share with you the four S's of Christianity. The four S's of Christianity, these are characteristics that every single one of you should have in your life if you call yourself a Christian. What does a Christian look like? A Christian looks like somebody that is surrendered to the Lord. What does a Christian look like? A Christian is somebody that serves the Lord. What does a Christian look like? A Christian is somebody who shares About The Lord and gives their personal testimony. What does a Christian look like? Number four is a Christian looks like somebody who supports the kingdom work Financially and other ways as well. Number one is surrender All of us know this. I hope you know this if you don't know this Let me be the first to tell you that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God Even if you came in here thinking that you're a pretty good person, you're not you're a sinner in need of a savior and so we know that Jesus in the work of the cross, come on, he, he is our ransom, right? He paid the price so that as we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then we will be saved, meaning that we don't have to pay the punishment of the sin. We apply Jesus' punishment to our sin. He paid the price for our sin. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if you would just believe in him, and this belief is belief to the point of action, to living, not just saying, yeah, I believe that there's a God because even the demons believe that there's a God, even the devil believes that there's a God, right? But they're not Christians, they're not following God. And so if you believe in him, you would not perish, but you will have eternal life, everlasting life, amen? And so, This is all about the surrendered life. God, I've been living for me, whatever Travis wants, whatever I desire, whatever, whatever, whatever. But now, God, I'm living for you. Whatever you want for my life, then that's the life that I'm going to pursue. It's the surrendered life. Pastoring, I love pastoring in a small community. Because small communities, many times people will know who I am, but I won't know who they are and that can be frustrating, but it can also be fun. One of my favorite questions to ask people whenever I find them on the golf course and especially when they don't know who I am or what I do, you know, uh, or I'm in Walmart or checking out in the line of some sort is I love to just visit with people and right out of the gate just ask them, so are you a Christian? And, And most of the time in our community, 99 and three-quarters of a percent of the time people are gonna say well of course i'm a christian yes absolutely And the only time that they're not gonna say that i'm a christian it's it's christianity is becoming less and less popular Let me first say that Um, And so I think those numbers are gonna increase as far as people that say no, I ain't no christian I don't believe in all that nonsense stuff, but most of the time that people say no It's whenever they believe in another religion no, I'm Buddhist. You know what I'm saying? We love Christians, but I'm Buddhist and we just love everybody. And can we just all get along? And Buddhism just kind of fits with my nature. You know what I'm saying? I'm like into that whole thing. And, or sometimes you'll meet people that, that are, that are Muslim, not a lot in our area, but, but they're not Christian because they're something else. Sometimes People will say, and I'm not getting into a discussion, I'm using this solely for illustrative purposes, but some people will just right out of the, ba- the gate say, uh, no, I'm, I'm LDS or I'm Mormon. Sometimes people will say, no, 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 I'm Catholic. You know what I mean? They, in fact, there was, this, there was a lady, this was about a year ago, it was so funny. I don't know if it was at a funeral. I don't think it was at a funeral. I think it was on a Sunday morning. But I asked this, I asked this, I I said, hey, she looked new to me. And so I approached this, this lady and she was just like very, very, just, just with, she was just, she was not open to anything that I had to say. I'll just say that. And, and I just said, hey, is this your first time here? And I was just trying to say, welcome, you know, thank you for coming to Grace Church. And, and, and right off the bat, man, she just said, I'm Catholic. And I'm like, oh, whoa, okay. I'm Travis, you know, (laughs) Glad, glad to meet you. And, and, um, and I was just saying, listen, first of all, can I just say this? I don't care what title you put above your name. It really comes down to do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know what I'm saying? Like you can call yourself Baptist. You can call yourself Lutheran. You can call yourself Catholic. You can call yourself whatever it is that you want to know. But it really, really comes down to do i have a personal relationship with jesus christ and so so anyhow it really gets tricky when you ask people what are you i'm a christian and then you the follow-up question makes it very interesting what's the follow-up question what makes you a christian Or why are you a Christian? There's a couple of things that are gonna happen when you ask somebody this, what makes you a Christian? Either they're gonna look at you like you're foolish because of course they know the answer of what makes somebody a Christian, but you would be surprised at how perplexed people are in trying to come up with an answer to that question. Why are you a Christian or what makes you a Christian? And can I tell you, whenever people give an answer, oftentimes it's the wrong answer let me tell you what's happening in the room right now today right now you in your mind you're asking yourself if i was to ask you what makes you a christian you are contemplating what would i say and it would be so fun right now just to ask you in front of everybody but i would never do that i would never do that like that would be so wrong of me it would be fun but it would, be, it would be wrong, right? When we give answers, we give answers that are oftentimes the wrong answer, right? I was raised Christian. That's an answer that you're going to get. Oh, yeah. So what makes you a Christian? Well, shoot, I was raised Christian. I was raised, I went to church. I went to church from... My first memories was going to church. Or they will just say, listen, what makes me a Christian is I go to church, right? I believe in God. We've already addressed this one that just because you believe in God doesn't mean, come on, that you're surrendered to God or have a relationship, right, with God. And so there's two obstacles that we have to overcome. One huge obstacle that we have to overcome is tradition, And especially if you come from a different background than mainline Christianity, because you're being raised in tradition and you don't even know why you do what it is that you do. You've just done it from the beginning. And so sometimes it's almost easier for somebody that's never known anything about religion than to convert from a different religion because you've got to deal with tradition, right? tradition is doing something but not knowing why you're doing it you just do it because your mama did it and her mama did it and her mama did it and that's just what she did what you you guys have heard the story about the about the man that just got married to the you know his brand new bride and they're just celebrating they're having a good time and and she cooks a, a real beautiful roast in the oven and and she cuts off the ends of the roast and the husband says listen why do you cut off the ends of the roast? And, the, and she says, well, my mom's done it. So short time later, the man sees his mother-in-law and says, why do you cut off the ends of the roast? And well, what? I just, that was raised to cut off the ends of the roast because my mom taught me how to do that. And then finally he speaks to the grandmother and he, and he says, listen, I'm i am just so confused. Why is it that your, your granddaughter and your daughter cut off the ends of the roast? And and she just simply says that I only had one pan that the roast would fit in and the roast was too big. And so we, we would chop the ends off. And so here is a tradition that has been passed down, passed down, and they've just grown up thinking that that's how you cook a roast. And so we do that, we bring these, we bring these traditions into our relationship with God and our salvation experience, right? We answer the question by saying, I grew up in church. My whole family believes in God. I was baptized Christian. I've stopped drinking, I've stopped cussing, and I've stopped having premarital sex, and therefore I'm saved. And let me just say this, that there's a lot of people that don't drink, don't smoke, and don't cuss, that are still gonna be filling the walls of hell. And guess what? This is gonna be a real shocker, but there are going to be millions of people that were baptized in Jesus' name, that are gonna be in hell. Because not everybody that gets baptized gets baptized for the right reason, right? Out of obedience and out of a surrendered life for the Lord. People are crazy, man, people. The first time I got baptized was because my my girlfriend's mom was a missionary to the Philippines, and I thought, boy, if I get baptized, I'm going to fit in real nice. with She's going to think that this was a good step. And so I literally entered into the waters of baptism. You know what I mean? To get an attaboy from a girl that I was dating her mother. Not everybody that enters into the waters of baptism is going to be saved. And so hell is going to be filled with people that have the same answer that people are giving as to why they're saved. And so we've got to deal with traditions and then we've got theological barriers and i'm not going to spend a lot of time on this but but there's a lot of metaphors come on that 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 grab hold of the idea of salvation marriage being one you know what i'm saying like we the church are the are the bride of christ right and and then and then another metaphor is slavery and, and how and how we're we're a slave to sin but but the bondage and, and we're, you know, the whole idea of being set free, that's an aspect of salvation. Crime and punishment. It's like, listen, I've been caught dead to rights, but yet somebody else is going to pay for my sin, right? That's an aspect and something that needs to be considered in salvation. And then there's the whole idea of adoption. And so this breaks down... It breaks down whenever we focus on one we just focus on the love of god god loves me he just loves me so much and god's love is just so great and amazing but when you just focus on god's love you fail to realize that he's still a god of judgment and wrath and so you don't have a complete picture another huge mistake that we make is we take these ideas of marriage and adoption and crime and punishment and slavery, and we we bring those those topics into our culture today without considering the differences of yesterday. Come on, being raised in the Middle East and during biblical times, how many of you know that those things were very different than they are today? Right? Right? And so we try to fit in God's word into our culture here today. And sometimes it just doesn't translate like it's supposed to translate. Another big thing is, is that if every single one of you think that you're automatically children of God, you're just born children of God, then guess what? The metaphor of adoption absolutely breaks down at some point. Why would there be a, me- a need for adoption into the family if you're already a child of God just automatically? And so, this is why it can be so confusing whenever we're talking about salvation. And we can come to this place of saying, I don't know. I don't know exactly if I'm saved or why I'm saved or how I got here. John 17 is your homework. This is a clear picture of redemption. There are 10 things, all of these things are absolutely essential in salvation, but you don't have to know them all right now. Number one, you just need to know that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Number two, you just need to know that Jesus went to the cross to pay for your sins. And number three, you have to to abandon any reliance on yourself and trust In the completed work of the cross and these three things you will know that you are saved you can't do anything to save you except receive come on the greatest gift that's ever been given to any of us amen Amen. are you guys with me is everything all right all right see i've been married 27 years going on 28 years and um and i can just tell you this thank you thank you My wife deserves a big trophy because I can tell you, I can't take any credit for 27 years. She deserves it all. But I can tell you this, the 27 years ago when I was standing at that altar and we said our our I do's and we gave our commitments and we entered into that, that covenant relationship with one another, I can tell you this, that I didn't know everything that there is to know about her. And in fact, if you were to ask me one month later, I would tell you that, wow, I thought I had you figured out and I didn't. But guess what I did know? I knew enough. I knew enough for, er- for us to work through just some hellacious situations in life and some curveballs that life has thrown. But we've been committed to one another because we've been committed to the Lord. And I'm just telling you that, uh, that it's a wonderful thing. And so you're going to spend the rest of your life learning and probably all of eternity learning about the 10 things in greater areas, the 10 things that you're going to find in John chapter 17, but praise the Lord. You can know him enough. Come on today to be saved. Amen. So the second thing I got to hurry up real quick here. The second thing is serving. The Christian life is about service. Tell your neighbor, get your serve on. Matthew chapter 4 said this, and Jesus is walking down the shoreline, and he comes across a couple of brothers, Simon, whose name was Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and he said, Listen, stop what you're doing and come and follow me. You are fishermen, but I am going to teach you how to fish four men and guess what they stopped what they did they left their boats they left their nets and they began to walk with jesus how incredible is that we are called to a life of service mark chapter 10 45 jesus says this even i came not to be served but to serve and he says to give my life as a ransom for many See, serving breaks down walls that separate. And when we serve, it bridges the gaps that unites. I honestly believe this, that if, um, if people that went to church on a regular basis, if they, would, if they would serve the local church and get involved in missions and serve with other people, I think that this trumped up idea, and I'm not saying it's not an issue, but I think it's been made to be more of an issue But I think this idea of racism would absolutely go away. Matter of fact, let me just say this. Let me just say this, and I know that's unpopular. That's okay. You'll understand it in eternity, maybe. Um, I can tell you this, that there are some churches and people have even said things about our church. It's like, listen, it's so hard to get to know people at that church or this church or whatever. But I can tell you this, that if you got on a serve team, You would not say that again, because whenever people, when people serve together, they get to know one another and it changes everything. This is why we encourage every single person to go on a mission trip, even a short term mission trip, because you're spending, you know, seven to 10 days with a group of people doing the same thing. And you're seeing how God is using you to be a blessing to somebody, somebody fresh and new, and it changes everything. See, you're not called to do everything, but everyone is called to do something. And let me also just say this, and I want your attention just as I say it. Serving is not below anybody. See, a lot of the times, whenever it comes to the church, you may have got used to the title that you have at your job. You may have gotten used to the to the money that they pay you because of the title that you hold at your job. You've worked real hard, and you're so used to just telling everybody else what to do and how to do it and when to do it because you are the man or you are the woman. I use this illustration. It just kind of came to me in the first service, and so I'm going to say it again because we don't have anybody here that does this. But if you owned 500 daycares around the United States, and it was a corporation, just because you own this multi-million dollar business and you're just rolling in the dough and you're a pretty important person let me be clear serving in this house is not below you it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go back into our nursery and just rock a few babies to sleep i want you to know this that 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 you've worked hard and you've and you've you've gained some ground and you have been You've been successful in some areas. But let me tell you, when it comes to the kingdom of God, the greatest thing that you can do, in fact, if Jesus said, I've come to serve and not be served, are you going to really elevate yourself above Jesus? And I'm just saying this, that this is one of those times right now when I'm sniping you, because let me tell you what's happening in your mind. For those of you that do nothing in the church, You're not serving any place in the church. This is one of those happily uncomfortable moments because you're called to serve, and if you're not serving, find a place, get on a team, and get busy. Because there's a lot of work that needs to be done, amen? And listen, everybody's got the excuse. Listen, my kids are young, and my kids are busy, and we gotta go camping, and we gotta do all these things, like listen, your serve doesn't have to look like my serve it doesn't have to look like anybody else's serve but you better be serving why because christians serve that's a characteristic of a christian is that they serve let me just say that again and we'll get a better hand clap why because christians serve all right that's good I can still tell some of your faces you're just not, you're not with me, but that's okay. You'll get there. All right. Mother Teresa said this, not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. Isn't that powerful? Let me tell you just a couple of ministries real quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we got two ministries right now that we are not doing anything with. Why? Because we haven't had the right people step up and say, listen, listen. I feel like God's calling me to take this and build this and to, and to grow this and to serve these two areas. Number one is mops. It's called mothers of preschoolers. Mops is a, is an opportunity for us literally come on to reach this entire community for Jesus. And the wonderful thing about MOPS is we send people to conferences, MOPS conferences. It's a curriculum that's totally laid out. All a person has to do is just familiarize themselves with this curriculum. And you might be thinking that the only way that you could lead a group like this is if you were a mother of a preschooler. But the truth is, is maybe your kids are grown, but you realize and you remember what it was like to have children in that young age group. And I'm just telling you this, that I know churches. My good friend, Pastor Gordon Banks in Seattle, right outside of Seattle, his whole church grew in and through MOPs program, reaching people that would never step into a Christian church and imagine what their culture is like in that Seattle federal way area. Reaching people that would never step into a Christian church, but yet they come and they find community with other moms that are struggling with the same things that they're struggling with. So this is a shame that we don't have somebody and not just anybody can teach this. So listen, don't I'm not trying to guilt anybody into I don't want 52 people come saying, listen, I'll do mops. And you are absolutely outside, like you got a a wheel well. You got got abilities, come on, that are in your area. But if it is in your area, then I would love to have a conversation with you. A second ministry that we have attempted multiple times to get off the ground, and it just needs the right people, is a college and career ministry. We need a space and a place for 19 to 25-year-olds. And we don't have it. We, we, we're trying it. We're, we're doing our best with it. But we don't have somebody that says, listen, man, I am passionate about these young adults. And I'm going to give my everything, come on, to building a community and teaching them and growing them and discipling them and serving with them. And so we have, we've been doing what we can for a while. But we need somebody with a heart and a passion to say, come on call on me. I'll go. And so, so we're praying for these two areas, but all I'm saying is, is that there's vision for the house. That's not being, that's not being met. Why? Because we don't have the leaders to lead it right now. And I'm just telling you this, that when you witness how God can use you, when you use your serve, It blesses you and it increases your faith. Number three is this, share the gospel. Every Christian is called to share the gospel. Every Christian is called to share what you know God's word to say. Every Christian is called to share their testimony. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter three and 15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I'm going to read it out of the message real quick. It says this. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks you why you're living the way you are. And always with the utmost courtesy, keep a clear conscience before God that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick. They'll end up realizing that they're the ones that are in need of a bath. And so listen, when you share your story, when you share your testimony, you know what happens? I don't know how it happens. But the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit attaches to the very words that you're speaking. And by the time it enters into the ears of whoever it is that you're speaking to, it changes their life. How many of you know that every single one of us have a fingerprint that is unique to each of us? Like like your fingerprint is totally different than my fingerprint. And guess what? Your testimony is a spiritual fingerprint of what God's redemptive power has done in your life. And I'm just telling you this, that what's what's wonderful is that, like say I'm on the golf course. I'm on the golf course, everybody's drinking, and I love these situations. I love them because it's real. Everybody's drinking, having a good time. Bleep, 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 bleep. You know what the bleeps are? Those are bad words. Bleep, bleep, oh shoot. I hit another one in the river, you know? And so then it comes around to hey, so Travis, you from here? Yeah, no, just last 13 years. Well, what do you do? I pastor Grace Church. And immediately, man, everything changes. Everything changes. Like they, it's like almost I got the plague. Some of them, they're like, or they're just like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, listen, man, it's good. But what I've been doing the whole conversation is I've been listening, and I've been listening up until the point that they find out that I'm a Christian, that I'm a pastor at that. And so if they, if they had been talking about getting arrested or a DUI or drinking or whatever, whatever, like I will bring that conversation all the way around. It's like, yeah, man, because they will withdraw, they'll withdraw, and they're thinking that you just been, you've been straight laced and clean your whole life, right? Like... And I'm like, yeah, isn't that crazy? You were talking about jail. Isn't it crazy how cold it is and they don't even give you a blanket and they're just like, (laughs) what? I thought you were a pastor. I was like, yeah, man, but I had a crazy life before, before I got saved. And now there's some interest. Now there's like, this guy, what is the rest of the story? How did you get from there to where you are here? And then all of a sudden, you just begin to share. And guess what? That redemptive power, it begins to speak to them in such a way that they think, you know what? Maybe some of the broken areas, the hurt areas of my life can get better as well. Wow. That's the power of a testimony. Number four, last one last one fun one it's called support every christian is called to support the kingdom of god in many different ways but one of those ways is financially i'm sniping again because there's no way that you can you can you can you're gonna have to contend with the idea do i trust god with my finances And the truth is, the numbers are going lower and lower and lower as studies come out. Fewer and fewer people are trusting God in the area of their finances, trusting God with their first fruits, giving into the kingdom of God. This is not just an idea for the elite or the wealthy. However, I will say that sometimes people that have been gatherers, sometimes people that have the ability to do wonderful business, they are called to give. Some of their greatest purpose is going to be found in giving extravagantly into the kingdom of God. Whereas somebody else, it's like even if they desired that, they couldn't do that because they don't have the the giftings of accumulating and gathering wealth like another person does. Have you ever met somebody that every single thing that they touch, it seems to be right? They seem to make money even when they're not looking to make money. Their money is automatically just making money, and I'm just telling you this: that that's not just the brilliance of the person. That is the purpose of God in their life for a reason. But the problem is, is some wealthy people don't have a purpose for the finance. They've not they've not come to the place of realizing. That man, there's buildings that need to be built, ministries that need to be started, peoples that need to be reached because salvation is important. And listen, if you're not that person, you can't try to be that person. But what you can do is you can be faithful with your tithes and your offerings. And then there are moments when God calls us into seasons of sacrificial giving. It's not, done to be, it's not meant to be given just out of your overflow or what's left over. The Bible says, listen, that we're supposed to give of our first fruits. That's before you take care of anything else, you take care of God's house and, and the kingdom of God first. And it's not to be done as an afterthought or to be done only when you're manipulated. See, there's a lot of preachers that they'll get up and, and give a song and dance and they will dance on your emotions and they will manipulate you into giving, but this is the deal. I don't wanna be that church. We're not gonna ever be that church because I don't want to have a group of people that only give when, they're, when their feelings are manipulated. How about you just be a person that gives because you're called, come on to trust God in the air of your finances. It's like, listen, it's like, it's like the rich man in Lazarus. Listen, go tell my brothers. Go tell my brothers, you know, to change their life and do things different. And Abraham's like, listen, if they're not going to listen to the, the prophets and the law, then they're not going to listen to an angel or anybody else I send. It's like, listen, if you're not going to listen to the word of God, then you're just not going to listen to the word of God. And that's okay. But you're really, really missing out because God's people Build the kingdom of God financially. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, let each one purpose in his heart beforehand what it is that they're going to give. In building the kingdom, and I'm closing with this, in building the kingdom, in in building the temple of God in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, I think it's interesting that there was a flow. The first person... That began to give and it was a it was a huge undertaking but David gave a lot of his wealth the king the leader of the of the people and then the Bible says that David gave and then the second group of people that gave were all of the leaders and so all of the leaders that were under his command they came to the table and they gave sacrificially and extravagantly and then after the leaders gave all of the people gave to the building of the temple or the house of God and so so I can just tell you this that listen we have some ministries that are in need of more space here do you know this that right now we really need a, a high school ministry and we need a junior high ministry there's no way that you can effectively minister to what, what, is, what is the earliest age of people that you have? Seventh grade, which is what? So there's no way that you can effectively minister to 12-year-olds and 18-year-olds in the same group. I mean, there's a lot of spillover and there's a lot of, but you really can't meet people where they're at. These people are real, dealing with major issues and, and, and they're being attacked full on. These people are, are just in a different, they're just in a different space in a place. Do you know on Wednesday night, we don't have the, the, the room to break up into two large groups. We have to do it all together. And so I'm just saying this, that it is time, and and I know we've been talking about this, and I'm waiting to get the plans and the things put together, but we need a gymnasium two years ago. Two years ago, we need a gymnasium. We need a gymnasium for this church. We need a gymnasium for this community. But this is the deal. That gymnasium is going to be costly, right? And so I want you to realize, I've already been considering what my giving looks like whenever it comes to sowing seed into building that gymnasium. And you know what it's going to look like? It's going to be sacrificial. My giving, my personal giving is going to hurt. It's going to cost me something. And so the reason why I've got the boldness that I have is because I've already considered these things. I would never get up in a million years and ask somebody, you know what I mean, to give when I'm not putting skin in the game as well. And so the beautiful thing about this is is I can make you happily uncomfortable by having this conversation because I've already put myself in an uncomfortable space and a place by having the conversation in my family. It's something that is absolutely needed. And we can build it together. You know what the beautiful thing is? Is the money's already raised. It just still remains in your bank account. You just got to take it from your bank account, and you've got to sow it into the church so that we can build that. Come on, for generations to come. I think it's interesting that um, that we've got the story of Mary and Martha, and I'm so appreciative, Matt sharing a few weeks ago about how he struggled with with these two different personalities you know work needs to be done and she just wants to sit at Jesus's feet and so this was the second time that Jesus had went to Lazarus's house the first time Lazarus was sick and Jesus had gotten word that he was dying and He purposefully just held up a few more days until Lazarus was not just dead, but somebody say he was good and dead. Like he was stinking dead, like seriously. He was in the tomb for days. Jesus shows up and says, listen, roll the stone away. And he calls forth, Lazarus come forth. And Lazarus comes out in his grave clothes. People start unwrapping him. So this is the second time. Because of that, they invite Jesus over for a dinner. Jesus comes in. How many of you know that it was customary, come on, for these people to sit on mats on the floor? They, they didn't sit at high tables and things like that. There was a table there for sure, but they were reclined probably on the floor. And Martha, she's doing what Martha does, she's cooking. She's making it happen and probably still complaining about everything that she's doing. Why isn't anybody helping me? Where's Mary? And the truth is, is Mary's, where is Mary? She's nowhere to be found. Well, Mary's in the back room. And whenever Jesus entered into the house with his presence, something was significantly different this time. I don't know if she knew what was coming But I can tell you this, that I believe that there was an urgency in the room, in the atmosphere. This time was different. She wanted to do, she felt she needed to do something special and significant for, for Jesus. So she's thinking, what can I do? What can I do? And then all of a sudden, bing! the perfume, the pound of perfume that I have that's what I'll do and I will I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna I'm just gonna pour it over his feet $50,000 today was what that perfume was worth 50 let me tell you this this is just a thought don't hang me for thinking this but I don't think that that perfume was in her possession for a day when Jesus was going to come so that she could just pour it out on his feet. I believe that it was probably part of a dowry or, or something that she was using that she, had, that she had raised or was given to her for her wedding night. It's possible. Might be a stretch. But maybe it was something that she was going to anoint her husband over a long period of time as devotion and thanksgiving for this man being... In her life and so I believe that there was another purpose for the perfume why would anybody have fifty thousand dollars worth of perfume in their bedroom it was for a reason and a purpose And so she comes out and and because some of you don't really care about money you're not moved about money you're like yeah yeah big deal man I think it was used for a good a good cause, sure, anoint Jesus for his burial. Other people, you're like, holy cow, I see why Judas said what he said. It's like, man, that could have been used for a lot better things, right? But this is the deal. When Judas began to rebuke the woman, he was also rebuking Jesus. And Jesus said, listen, let her do what she's going to do. This is for my burial. See, some of us, we don't have a problem of the $50,000, but here she was, Jesus was reclined, probably something like this at a table, maybe drinking some tea or something. She comes into the room. She begins to pour that expensive perfume over his feet. This is where some of y'all have the problem. Is then she took her hair which means that she had to get low And she had to take her hair and let her hair drape down And her hair began just to brush across the feet of jesus She was probably weeping and worshiping and crying and my question is this is what would cause a person to give so sacrificially, what were they, what was she thinking? What moved her? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The only thing that would drive somebody to that place, that place of lowliness, that place of pouring out something that had been allotted for something else, but this is more important than anything else that could happen out there, is her love and her devotion and her thanksgiving and her gratitude for everything that God had done for her. And I'm just telling you this, that I feel like God is calling our church to get back to gratefulness to Thanksgiving to appreciation I feel like for some it's possible that we've done what the Bible warned us against and that is forgetting our first love see some of us maybe we've been saved so long that we forgot just what life might be like without Jesus but whenever we come to a place and the atmosphere begins to change we're willing To do the craziest things because it's the most important things fast forward just a few days jesus is in the garden of gethsemane and um and he is praying and he's weeping and sweat and blood is coming out of his pores i think it's very possible that even days later he could smell the aroma He could smell the aroma of that that beautiful gift that Mary had poured onto his feet. It was a wonderful aroma. And I just want to pray for you today that we've been called into these four areas. Are you saved? Are you serving? Are you sharing? And are you supporting? These are four areas that God calls us all to do. God calls us all to be. See, Christianity is not an additive of your life normal, but walking with the Lord becomes life normal and everything else is just a benefit. Amen? So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for these incredible people. And I just ask in Jesus' name. God, that you would just meet them where they are. Meet us where we are, Lord, as a church. God, let us begin to remember how good you've been to us. Sacrificial giving comes out of a heart of gratitude and a heart of love. and Sacrificial living will go and will do what it is that you call us to do because we trust you and we trust you because we know you. I just ask, Lord, that we would just be a radical people for you in Jesus name I pray for anybody that came in here hurting this morning I pray that the Holy Spirit would just minister to you right where you are and I pray that from this moment going forward you're going to see a real change either in your attitude or in your in your body whatever it is that you're needing I'm just asking that the Lord right now would just would just move in that area and that he would just He would just show you that he's got his eye on you. He sees you. He cares about you. And he's going to move on your behalf. Let that be in Jesus' name.
0: Amen and amen. God bless you guys. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch.